This is News Talk 980 CKNW. It's Love Not Hate here on the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW, the show where we educate everyone about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. This show is more than a sex show, but I am trying to seduce you to listen to information about health, online dating, relationships, love, and your body. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this show for you and only you. I'm a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other, researcher, blogger, clinician, TED speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you discover new and exciting things about sex, love, dating, your body, and research. I make no innuendos, no judgments, and certainly no apologies, just fearless, straight-up talk about sex and health. Let's hope for you. It will be illuminating, educational, get you thinking outside of the box and have a little fun. So please stay with me. There is an aspect of sexual health that is dark and that is sexual abuse, any unwanted sexual advances, pedophilia and rape. Of course, for those of you who have been sexually abused, you're never far from my heart and I wish you all the best on your healing journey from this societal malignancy. I keep you in my prayers and you are never Far from my heart. Please do put the kitties to bed. Listener discretion is advised. We are going to be talking about some sensitive subjects here tonight on the show, as we do every Sunday night. You can also put your earbuds in so that only you can listen. Good evening, Matt. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks. Yourself? Well, you know, I'm great. Thanks. <laughs> yes, I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, a little disturbed with what's going on out there in the world in terms of all of the bigotry and hatred and anti-Semitism and and anti-Islamic behavior, and uh, sometimes I wonder what is wrong with people, you know, uh, that I was raised to believe that I am no better than anybody else, and I am no worse than anybody else, and that, you know, all of us were created equal in this world. Some people were belie- were raised to believe that they were better than others, and that actually doesn't work out in the world, and nor does it work well when you were raised that you are not worthy either. So that leads to lots of problems in the world, as we're seeing some of those narratives playing out today in the world. And, and uh, you know, when people like that end up having problems with jobs and relationships and, and money and people. And, and to think for a moment you're better than someone else because you might have a bit more money or your skin color is lighter or you uh, honor another god than different from somebody else or your eye color or skin color, it's egregious. And uh, don't get me started. Um, but anyway, and a lot of people who've had tragic upbringings have a sense that they are not worthy and they are afraid that they'll be found out and that impacts their behavior. And, and, and it's fear. All of this is driven by fear, which is a social anxiety and all this bigotry and discrimination and hatred. It's ignorance and it's cruelty and it fuels all of this nasty behavior. And uh, we've moved the, me- the needle here in Vancouver and in my hometown of Boston as well, which I'm happy to say with um, thousands of counter-protesters drowning out the slogans and voices of the alleged free speech rallies. So we cannot stay silent on this. And as Martha, as Martin Luther King said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent on things that matter. And this is something that matters the world over. Of course, um, Malala the Nobel Peace Prize winner, an activist for female education, and the youngest ever Nobel Nobel Prize laureate and human rights advocate, uh, said she had two options. One was to remain silent and wait to be killed, and the other was to speak up and then be killed. And she chose the second option. She chose to speak up. And I think it's time we spoke up. She's going back to school as well, isn't she? I believe she is, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, education is the, one of the greatest gifts um, 
anyone could ever receive in life. I think the better educated we are, the more we, uh, open our minds are. And, um, and of course, some women around the world, girls and women, are, don't have access to education. But I did want to say to those of you who went out in both cities, Vancouver and Boston, I was unable to go out in either one. Namaste to you. Uh, my thoughts and prayers were... And support was with all of you who spoke up and marched peacefully, of course. So anyway, other than that, you know, I'm okay that uh, we're here to talk about sex. And um, so hopefully people have put the children to bed. And um, we have some research to review tonight and lots of other different subjects. Uh, A lot of people love their pets, so much so. And in fact, do you prefer to cuddle with your pet over your partner? Well, if you're like most women, you do, (laughs) apparently. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later. Um, This week, I gave a teleconference to the British Columbia BC Cancer Agencies, um, and this is for innovation and health as well, you know, talk about innovation. We were, through telehealth, about six other agencies were able to join in on that teleconference. And um, so I wanted to share some of the issues about sexual function and identity after a cancer diagnosis and treatment. I want to share the joy of intimacy after such diagnosis with you, and you certainly can have the joy of intimacy after a a diagnosis as devastating as cancer can be. Are you one of a number of women who never had, don't know if they had, or don't care if they have this? I'm talking nine facts on how to improve the pleasure in your relationship. A little early in the program to say uh, the big O word. Uh-oh. Anyway, um, also, digita- the uh, the world is becoming digitalized uh, faster than a speeding bullet. And uh, so would you want that hot married guy in the office to know that you'd like to jump his bones? As the hot married guy, would you want your coworkers to know you're in a rough patch in your marriage? Are we going to be able to digitalize our emotions? What do you think? Would you want a computer or an iPhone or an iWatch to be able to determine your every thought? Well, it's coming our way. Relationships are changing big time. I'm going to be talking a little bit about relationships as well, and especially some of the sexual problems and how to talk to your partner about sexual problems. Also, um, did you know that there are different styles of lovers? Did you know that, Matt? Yeah, I would assume so. There's different styles of everybody. I'll share mine if you share yours. Just kidding. <laughs> that was for the listeners. <laughs> Don't you always always give me TMI, <laughs> Matt. Anyway. I'm trying not to this time. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Down boy. All right. Um, anyway, stick with me for the 411 on how understanding men just a little bit better can help you navigate that online dating scene. And especially if you know what kind of a lover you are, that's going to be helpful to to find the type of lover he or she is. If you are um, interested in meeting somebody of the same sex, that's great too. Guys, listen up. Okay. You hear me? You're probably thinking, oh, she's nagging again. Here she is (laughs) in that deep throaty voice. I definitely have the sexpert voice tonight, would you say? You almost got the Linda Steele voice going on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not that good. Uh, (laughs) HPV is the most common sexually transmitted infection worldwide. Most people never develop symptoms, and the infection resolves on its own within about two years. But in some people, the infection persists and may lead to cervical cancer in women, penile cancer in men, and oral pharyngeal cancer in both sexes. And there has been a an increase in the cases of oropharyngeal or mouth and neck cancers, head and neck cancers in men in this province and across Canada. 
So we're going to be talking to a researcher from UBC, Ashley Rich, and she has done, uh, sorry, we're going to be talking to the executive director, sorry, of HPV. <clears throat> sorry, I haven't been well lately. <laughs> Spending too much time doing, no, kidding. Um, actually, we're we'll talking to the executive director of HPV Awareness, Emily McFadden. She is joining me in the studio, and we're going to be talking about this and how you can reduce your risk. And also, we're going to be talking about a uh, percentage of the population um, that uh, doesn't necessarily have the access to healthcare that they deserve. And one part of it is actually getting some statistics, some statistics on this particular group of the population. So UBC researcher Ashley Rich is here with me in the studio to talk about her research and some of the biological, behavioral, and legal factors that put some men at 24 times more risk of HIV compared with the general population. So but also, uh, it is that time of year again, Oh, but first I have my fake news for you. (laughs) It's not women faking. No, no, that happens daily. Um, The fake news is there was this this article in the New York Post, and somebody messaged me on Facebook, and he said, is this real or is this fake news? And unfortunately, the title was fake news that... um, something about vaginas, you know, the, the vaginas absolutely have to do something or they will become medically depressed. Okay. doesn't happen. That's a bit of fake news. The article had some truth to it. So I'm going to be reviewing uh, the truth about uh, down under for women. But also I'm going to be talking to Dr. Peter Black. He's a urologist and a colleague of mine. The Bladder Cancer Canada Walk is on Sunday, September 24th in Burnaby. You can walk or run. It's a very important cause. Last year, we raised $600,000. We're looking for $650,000. This year, if you'd like to write me a check, just write it to Maureen McGrath. (laughs) I'll cash it right away and give half. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But if you would like to write a check, by all means, um, Bladder Cancer Canada, go on to the website. Uh, We're going to be talking to Dr. Black about the number one symptom that uh, if you saw in your urine might cause you to get help and to go see your doctor. Okay, I'm going to give it away. The cat is out of the bag. See red, see your doctor. It's very important if you have blood in your urine. So we're going to be talking further to Dr. Peter Black about that when I come back. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. I wanted to talk to you about the, and you've probably heard me talk about this in previous years, the Bladder Cancer Walk. I I am involved in that each year. We're looking to raise some funds to improve research, increase the amount of research so we can find a cure for this. And Dr. Peter Black, who's a, a senior research scientist at the Vancouver Prostate Center, Professor Department of Urologic Sciences at the University of British Columbia is joining me on the line. Hello, Dr. Black. Hi, Maureen. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Thanks oh, for having me. Oh, good. Thanks for coming on the program. Uh, the walk is on September 24th out yeah. at Deer Lake in Burnaby. And um, tell me a little bit about why you're involved in the bladder cancer walk each year. And you've been known to even don a lemon suit. That's yeah. how much, how great your involvement is. <laughs> Usually a child or, or occasionally my wife, but I don't think, I don't think it's actually been me yet. But, uh, this but year. This is, this is the uh, the sixth time we've done this in Vancouver. It started in 2012. Um, it's really a, a grassroots initiative that's been growing uh, year to year. 
and I, a lot of my clinical practice is in, in bladder cancer, so I've, I've just tried to, to get people together and, and get out there. Um, and it's, you know, it's really important for patient support and for research, so I try to support as much as I can. And you do a great job doing that. Um, tell I, Their campaign is, which I love, See Red, See Your Doctor. Yeah, so that's um, a message that uh, Bladder Cancer Canada wants to get out to the population in general, that if you see any blood in your urine, so if your urine's red, uh, you need to go and see a doctor and not just ignore it. It's, it's the telltale sign of, of bladder cancer, and unfortunately it's often uh, ignored, and then the diagnosis of bladder cancer is delayed. And why is it ignored? Is it ignored by the patient, or is it ignored by their GP, or both? Uh, by both, actually. By both. Uh, by, yeah. <laughs> Great. Men, men especially love to uh, just think, oh, everything will be okay, uh, and not go to their doctor. Um, it's often just you know once, or maybe just for a period of one day or two days, and it goes away. So we we all naturally think, okay, well, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I don't need to worry about it. Um, in women, it's often. Uh, misinterpreted as a urinary tract infection, since women are more likely to get a urinary tract infection. Uh, and there sometimes it's the treating physician who uh, doesn't take it seriously until a, a referral is delayed. And so what once they have blood in their urine, what are the next steps that they should go to their doctor? They see blood in their urine, should go to their doctor, and what should the doctor, what, is the, what, is the work, what does the workup involve? We're, we're educating doctors out there tonight too as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, generally they'll involve you know, a, a look at the urine to see if there's something else going on, like a urinary tract infection. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, the history and physical, if there's anything obvious. Uh, sometimes a patient won't need a workup if it's, for example, uh, you know, a 35-year-old female who obviously has a urinary tract infection, then there's very low risk of anything else going on. But typically older patients, smokers, um, if there's no other obvious cause, we really want to be sure that the blood is not the first sign of either a bladder cancer or even a, a kidney cancer. And um, so they, they then get referred to a, a urologist. And then what would the urologist do? Uh, I don't know if I want to say that on air, but we, <laughs> we will generally... <laughs> there's lidocaine. There's always lidocaine. <laughs> there's always lidocaine, yes. We will generally look in the bladder. Um, that's the only way we can reliably diagnose bladder cancer. And we will also uh, image the kidneys, so get an ultrasound or a CAT scan of the kidneys. So a cystoscopy is done. Cystoscopy, yeah. Yes, and um, and can be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, that, but it's very quick. It's yeah, it's it's quick and it's it's uncomfortable, but not painful. The instruments these days are are very good and and they're they, they're flexible. I always tell the ma- the male patients they this the scope will follow the curves. Um, so it's. Uh, it's it's generally very well tolerated. That's great. Um, and now, what is the treatment today? What is the prognosis for people with bladder cancer? And that's probably a difficult question to answer um, because it depends on stage and whether it's metastasized. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, about uh, two-thirds, three-quarters of bladder cancers are localized to the, ble- the, to the bladder and they're not invasive into the bladder wall. Mm-hmm. So the, those patients have a very good prognosis and it's it's almost more of a, a bother than anything that they may need repeated um, surgeries to, to scrape out tumors or even drugs put into their bladder. But it's the other 25% approximately with, with invasive bladder cancer where it's really uh, life-threatening and we uh, remove the bladder and give chemotherapy, um, so uh, intravenous chemotherapy, and it's much more a threatening disease in those, those patients. Right. 
nonetheless, it would be nice to have a cure, to find a cure, and we can only do that through research. And one of the ways is through the Bladder Cancer Canada Walk. It happens all across the country on that day in, in various cities. Yeah. Yep. I don't, I've lost track of how many, but I think it's over 30 cities. Last year, they they targeted uh, $550,000 and, and ended up bringing in 600000 And so this year, they're targeting 650000 Which is amazing. So, well, I, I hope uh, we're both some of the top <laughs> fundraisers anyway, yeah. this year. But I look forward to seeing you at the walk. And before, and thanks for all your great work in bladder cancer and in, yeah. in raising awareness and funding for this disease that can devastate many people. Right, and thank you for your support. Not at all. My pleasure. That's Dr. Peter Black of the Vancouver Prostate Center and UBC. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I am honored to have in the studio PhD student Ashley Rich, who is working with the BC Center for Excellence in HIV and AIDS. We're talking about MSM, men who have sex with men, and why it's important to know the number of men in the city of Vancouver, especially Welcome to the studio, Ashley. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. I know how busy you are and how hard you work. Um, first, I'd like to, uh, many people may not be familiar with the term MSM or men who have sex with men. Can you uh, give me a definition of that? Sure. Describe um, that. Yeah. So uh, MSM or men who have sex with men, as you said, um, is uh, a behavioral term, so it describes a behavior. Um, usually we think about sexual orientation as um, having three parts. So behavior, um, who we're enga- engaged in sexual activities with. Um, identity, so how do we identify uh, an attraction? Who are we attracted to? Um, so in public health, we often use um, MSM, the behavioral measure, um, especially in HIV, um, because there's uh, an uh, additional, uh, there's an increased HIV risk associated with the behavior MSM. Um, And so we usually use that term. So MSMs don't necessarily identify as being gay or um, being bisexual even. They, They may identify as heterosexual. Yeah, the majority of people who fall into that category of MSM do identify as gay, bisexual, queer, um, or some other non-heterosexual identity, um, uh, but but the term was um, additional or initially um, developed um, meant to be inclusive of of men who have sex with men who may not also um, those who do and also those who do not identify potentially as gay, bi, queer. Right, and it doesn't matter for either one because it's this it's this behavior that that p- prevents them from having <clears throat> appropriate access to health care and other uh, policy development. So you've written a paper estimating the size of the MSM population in Metro Vancouver, Canada, using multiple methods and diverse data sources. So tell me why this paper is important. Why is it important to determine this number, and how did you determine the number? Sure. Um, so uh, the drivers of, um, of, of this study... Um, in part, is that uh, MSM make up about half of the people living with HIV in BC, um, as well as about half of the new infections every year. 
Um, and so they're considered what's called a key HIV risk population. Um, and so there's interest in developing these population size estimates of key HIV risk populations, such as MSM, as well as others, um, including sex workers and people who use injection drugs. So, um, so those of us on the team at the BC Center for Excellence in HIV AIDS, um, uh, part of the Momentum Health Study, um, conducted this study uh, estimating the size of um, MSM locally in Metro Vancouver. And so this is helpful for policy, healthcare policy development, is it, so that we can then provide these folks with better access to healthcare prevention methods so we can have a number. So that and was the number more significant than you, your team had expected? Um, sure. So maybe I'll just clarify. Um, so the the purpose of, of these kinds of population estimates is really to inform um, policy decision making as well as public health planning, implementation, services, programming. Um, so you'll be going to the government with this? Is this something that you would send off to government leaders or... Um, certainly, the hope is that it will inform, um, you know, government decision making um, as relevant, but particularly in public health. So, um, the numbers um, are useful in um, in uh, informing uh, an understanding of um, who's at risk of HIV, of acquiring HIV, um, how many of those people are MSM, um, and among MSM, how many um, uh, are living with HIV. And did you find those numbers in your research study, how many MSMs are living with HIV in Vancouver? Um, we did develop, um, so the, the primary estimate um, for this study um, was uh, an estimate of how many um, MSM there are in Metro Vancouver. And how many are there? I, th- I saw it in there. Um, so we developed a, a, a range of estimates um, and uh, took the median as the most reliable. Um, and so that's twenty-seven, about 27,000 um, people in um, or men in um, Metro Vancouver, which works out to about three um, percent of the total adult population. So twenty-seven thousand in the Greater Vancouver area mm-hmm. of MSMs. Right, and about three percent of the adult male population in the area. Okay, in the Greater Vancouver area, you're meaning Vancouver and Port Moody and mm-hmm. Burnaby and mm-hmm. Richmond, and West Van, North Van. Yep, Metro um, Vancouver area. And so that's 27,000 MSMs. And what percentage of them are living with HIV? Or did you, did you look at that? We did. So um, uh, we also did a subpopulation estimate. Um, and so we estimated that there's about um, 6,400 um, MSM living with HIV um, in the area, in Metro Vancouver. Um, however, it's worth noting that that um, that estimate of the HIV-positive population was higher than we would have expected in the context of um, uh, other estimates of the total number of MSM living with HIV in the province. So um, it's worth considering that with caution. And if people don't have access to health care or prevention or testing, could that number be lower than, is that number lower than one might expect? Um, the, the estimates in general, um, sure, could certainly be affected by um, people who are not participating in the studies um, that we drew data from, um, as well as non-disclosure in the different data sources. So um, there's some evidence to suggest that um, sexual minorities or specifically um, gay, bi, or other um, men who have sex with men um, due to stigma or fear right. of discrimination may not disclose their sexual identity or um, 
sexual behavior with other men on um, government surveys or other research. Right. Um, they feel that it might affect their job or their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we um, we did consider that in the study. Um, based on a couple of other um, research studies, we took the estimates in those um, in those studies uh, and applied them to ours. And so, um, based on the different estimates, um, the three percent number could be as high as four or six percent of the population um, using using that data. Yeah. Right. I was just wondering if marginalized people who don't have as good of access to healthcare as those that are not. Um, that there may be a higher percentage in that population that that may not, or did you account for that? Um, we're not able to account for people who aren't participating in these, who aren't answering these these surveys, right? Or, right? We can't, um, we don't have information on those people who don't of course. Um, participate. So um, definitely an important population to consider, but, um, w- you know, there are limits to who, who um uh, who participates, of course. Right. right? And, and why do you have an interest in this area? What's, um, what drives you? Um, well, we um, this study grew out of the Momentum Health Study, which is a local um, gay men's health and HIV study. Um, and so um, uh, there was, a, 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 I think, a, a natural interest. This was a good fit for um, having the opportunity with the Momentum Study, um, which was one of the data sources provided for this study, um, using that local data as well as data from um, the National Health Survey um, and uh, local HIV STI clinics, um, as well as Facebook, um, to put together this these, this range of estimates. Wow, it's it's amazing work. It's fantastic work. So congratulations on on your publication and all the work that you've done, and uh, keep going. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for joining me in the studio. That is Ashley Rich. She is one of the she's the first author on estimating the size of the MSM population in Metro Vancouver, Canada, using multiple methods and diverse data sources. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you want to give me a call, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. I'm happy to talk to you. Uh, Matt will pick up the line for you. And um, anyway, amongst other things around the world, this certainly caught my attention. As you may or or may not have heard here on this program, but I've certainly said it before, HPV is the most common sexually transmitted infection worldwide. The proportion of oral cancers caused by the human papillomavirus, HPV, has risen significantly in Canada, and it is estimated that the infection is now behind an an approximate 75% of all such malignancies. The Executive Director of HPV Awareness Canada, Amelia Emily McFadden, I have messed up everyone's names tonight. Emily McFadden joins me to discuss these disturbing facts. Welcome to the show, Emily. Hi, Maureen. Thank Th- you for having me. Oh, thanks for coming in. All the way from Montreal. Absolutely. Nous parlerions en français, mais non. Bonsoir. Okay. <clears throat> so this is disturbing. We're seeing an increase in infections. We're seeing uh, a lot of head and neck malignancies. Uh, men seem to be at greater risk, although the HPV can cause cervical cancer in women, penile cancer in men, and head and neck or oropharyngeal cancers in both men and women. So uh, your job as the executive director of uh, HPV Awareness Canada is to 
I gather, raise awareness. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, when we first started, it was all about HPV. Now we've expanded to other stuff, but we always keep a very specific focus on HPV because of all these sexually transmitted infections. HPV is different. It's particular because it's so prevalent, first of all, and it leads to cancers, which is not something to be ignored. But also there's uh, prevention methods that are available, luckily. And what are some of the prevention methods? So the prevention method that is the most interesting, I believe, is the vaccine. Um, The Gardasil vaccine is the one that we give in Canada because uh, it protects against the strains, the nine strains right now, that are the ones that cause the most genital warts and the cancers. So it's really something that uh, will protect you against the HPV that will lead to those cancers. And we vaccinate, we've been vaccinating girls in this country for a number of years. And I never understood vaccinating half the population. Yeah, I have to say we're on board with you there. We never understood that either. It's yes, half the population that yeah. was having sex. Um, <laughs> and, but now a lot of the, most of the, all the provinces as of September will be vaccinating the students in the um, schools. Yeah, so mostly all the provinces definitely already are or have a plan to. Yes. Um, the ones that were just kind of joining lately should be all starting in September. Like British Columbia. British Columbia starting is in September. That's yeah. right. So we're excited about that. So hopefully everything will start as planned. Yes. And as for the territories, um, Yukon has announced just in the last few months that they will as well be starting the program in September. Um, so the territories, it's the first one to offer it. So the other two territories will... Uh, hopefully get on board. Right. And there are people, of course, that are anti-vaccine. This is a devastating disease. Cervical cancer is devastating. Uh, The treatment is painful and awful and terrible. And if you ever saw a woman who had to go through some of those treatments, uh, you would realize there's a former MLA who survived cancer Mm -hmm. who's calling for a national HPV vaccination program, Gordy Gossie. He's um, from uh, Nova Scotia, and yeah. he he says that he's unrecognizable after his treatment. Um, he had head and neck cancer from HPV. Yeah. He's uh, around 50 or in his 50s, but sometimes this uh, virus lays dormant in the body for 30 years, which is often why we see the 50-year-old male professional as the poster child for this, the unfortunate poster child for this Uh, disease that can be prevented. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, The HPV does stay dormant in a lot of cases for up to 30 years. It could come out at any point. And stuff that you did when you were a teenager can suddenly come back and bite you And 30 years later. And all of a sudden you're having this cancer. And like you said, they're harsh and are harsh treatment. That's right. Most people never develop symptoms and the infection will resolve on its own. And it yeah. seems to be that women have a better immune system or better immunity uh, to fight against HPV, which is potentially why we're seeing an, in, a rise in male diagnosis of head and neck cancers. Yeah, when it comes to oral cancer specifically, we have seen that the majority of them are in men, as you've said. Um, the Cause for this still needs to be studied more, uh, but there is, as you've mentioned, a theory saying that women not only will clear it more easily, but they get it less often as well. So we're not quite sure yet why. Not sure why that is. (laughs) Women power. 1,335 Canadians were diagnosed in 2012 with HPV-related oropharyngeal cancer, and 372 died from the disease. So this is... Those are significant numbers. They are, and they've increased a lot lately, as you've said, and they've even um, estimated that by 2020, the oral cancers could surpass the cervical cancer cases, which is very significant. That certainly is. And uh, 
safe sex? Is mm-hmm. that another preventive strategy that you... I mean, the condom should always be used, absolutely, for the other STIs as well. Um, it will reduce the risk of contracting or giving HPV. However, the unfortunate thing when it comes to HPV and other ones like herpes, um, it's you can get it by just skin-to-skin contact. That's right. So the condom doesn't cover, of course, uh, Unless you have a condom area. that covers your entire body. There but, you go. Uh, that hasn't been <laughs> that, that's right, the skin-to-skin, and people don't realize that, the, the risk of that. Um, and most cases of HPV-related oral cancer are linked to oral sex, Yes, um, which is very popular in teenagers today. Another reason, because mm-hmm. they don't perceive it as sex, thanks to Bill Clinton. And it's also, they can't get pregnant. And so, they also don't even think they've had sex if they perform oral sex. And, yeah. and there's also been those lipstick parties. I don't know if you've had those um, in the I East. I have heard of those. Yeah, we have heard of those as well in the East. Yes. Um, oral cancer, definitely. Um, sorry, oral sex, I should say. Definitely is something that teens do. And you're right, they don't perceive it as being sexually active. And that's why when we talk to youth or anybody, we always say HPV, you're at risk as soon as you go below the belt, whether it's with your mouth, with your hands. That's right. It doesn't have to penetration. Yeah, that's that's great um, wisdom, actually. (laughs) 85% of the cases in, according to the CMAJ study that was done recently of oral cancers were in men. Yep. Um, So so men really need to stand up and uh, and take a listen here. to this because this can certainly change your life and um, you know it may affect the tongue and it may affect the throat and you may need radiation therapy and chemotherapy and surgical removal of tumors and it'll it'll affect how you're able to eat um, speaking your job this MLA back east Gordy Gossie had to retire early as a result of his treatments, yeah, absolutely, which and, were so devastating. Yeah, and our spokesperson, um, Peter Kent, who is a member of parliament, has said similar things as well. He had oral cancer, and it was very devastating for a long time. It changes, it takes over your life, changes your taste, changes his voice, which was iconic in right. newscasts and stuff. So it's definitely, it's not uh, a minor thing. So vaccination is definitely something to consider heavily. Absolutely. And there are, I suppose, some parents who still go against, do not have their children vaccinated because they're afraid that their children are going to become sexually active sooner. But the studies and the research suggests that uh, children actually delay having sex after they've had more education, which is generally associated with the HPV vaccine or the Gardasil 9, which is what we give here. Absolutely. Yeah. The more you know, uh, the more they delay it because they're just more educated about it. They're more aware of the responsibility that comes with sexuality and the consequences that could happen. And just the fact that it's a, a big deal. Sex is a big deal and they're aware and that, they wait longer. That's right. And <laughs> this, again, is something we cannot remain silent on. We need to educate Absolutely. children and adults about this. And also, I know research has only been done up to certain ages, and I'm not yeah. I'm not actually sure what age. I know it was 26 at one point. Yeah, it's but 26 if, for men and 40-something for women. Yeah, so even women, just because the research hadn't been done, but women who found themselves single, in, again, perhaps, in their, not in a monogamous relationship, perhaps in their 40s, uh, if that were the case, um, it was recommended that they actually get the the uh, vaccination as well. Yeah, well, actually, recently, very interestingly, the NASI recommendations for the vaccine, they took off the upper age limit. 
So oh, that's this great. isn't discussed as much, but there's no operational limit, and it's really recommended that anybody get vaccinated. Regardless of whether you've been sexually active or not. There yep. are a multitude of strains, and it can certainly help. Um, it can prevent, and it may reduce some of the um, Some of the symptoms. Some yes. of the symptoms. So the vaccine, if you already have a strain of HPV, it'll reduce the symptoms. It could. But it'll definitely prevent from any other strains that you haven't had. And there's just so many strains. It'll protect you against the nine main ones. But chances are you don't have all nine. That's right. Exactly. Where can people get more information about this, Emily? They can go on our website, hpvawareness.org. There's a lot of information. Fantastic. This is Emily McFadden, and she is the Executive Director of HPV Awareness Canada. And it's been an honor to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for all your great information. Thank you so much. You're, you're welcome. I am Maureen <laughs> McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.